now, say now. You're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here at the Momentum Studios. Myself, Spencer Shea. Yes, indeed. And the year 2024. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you, bro. Absolutely, absolutely. Glad to be back. Kick things off here in 2024. You know how it goes for us. We kick it off the same way. Win shares it is this Friday. Spencer and I will be on the call at Pacific University, January 5th. It'll be the Pacific University Boxers facing off against the University of Puget Sound Loggers. It'll be a doubleheader. The, the women tip off at 6 p.m. The men tip off at 8 p.m. And it is conference play right. for the rest <clears throat> of the way now. So every game matters with crazy implications. And it's the best part of the year when it comes to college basketball for me individually. Of course, the tournament is the tournament. I'm not comparing the two in terms of its prestige, if you will, because everybody decides to tap in with college basketball when March comes around because it's the maddest month of the year. I get it. I love it. I'm here for it. But as a basketball junkie and as somebody that played college basketball as well, I understand the implications and the importance of how conference play could make or break your season in terms of allowing you to have a chance to even play in March. And that's where I I just – I get a kick out of just every game because some games are just harder to get up for than others. But because the implications always matter in conference play and there's essentially a race happening from the beginning of conference play – all the way until the end of conference play because you want seedings and things of the like for the conference tournaments that are to follow, usually late February, early March. I really get a kick out of just being a part of that race through its entirety, seeing how it'll all shake out because you never know from game to game. You never know from week to week. These are teams that play each other twice a year at minimum every season. So the players that have been within the program for however many years and become upperclassmen and veterans in their own right, they're familiar with how this conference usually shakes out and what's going on around the conference. Obviously, the coaches that coaches this at this level, at the Division Three level, <laughs> will obviously talk Division One with Portland State soon, but the coaches know each other. Just the familiarity is like unmatched <laughs> during that time of the year. Obviously, far much so than in March, which is why I think you have a lot of upsets in March, is because it's all about matchups at that point. Where at this level, yeah, it's about matchups, but a lot of it is about familiarity and scheming against teams that you know everything about and they know everything about you. So how do you adjust? Essentially, the adjusting becomes more important in conference play than just matchups. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, especially you know, at least what I can speak of on the level that I've seen, just sitting at the scores table, it's like. It goes well beyond the matchups that you get to see on the broadcast and you yeah. get to see on the product of the floor. Like week to week, game to game, you're hearing little, uh, you know, trickling zins of like somebody maybe not having good grades on the other side. I mean, like yeah. relationships where, oh, we know this coach don't like him. You see the same refs. Yeah. So and and by the way, all we of this, got caught out by by refs the other yeah, day. Yeah, huh? oh yeah, that's right. He said, <laughs> he said "Hey, I just want because he, he ran up on us real yeah, quick. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. In the middle of the game, like late in the game, I'm like, oh, say what's he about to say? And he just, hey man, really like you guys. You have me dying every time I have to scout for the conferences. I, I think you're my favorite broadcast. Yeah, in the in the conference. Yeah, like, for yeah, sure, man. for sure. We also had somebody come out. I don't think you heard it, and I didn't hear much of it. But we had a different ref come up. 
And I don't think he particularly liked something we might have said oh, well, during a podcast. <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, that's probably on me. But I couldn't hear out fully what it was that he was saying. Man. But they listen. The refs definitely listen. I mean, I've been, I've been doing G League broadcasting for a month, and Garrett and I have already had referees come up to us about the broadcast and, and having tuned into the broadcast. So, like, the officials do listen. They study these games, these teams. They find out tendencies. They scout in their own sure, right as sure. they come into a game in regards to just knowing what type of teams am I refereeing tonight. Styles of play, I think, help them to be able to dictate what types of calls they're going to make. To know what teams tits. run or not, like, yeah. what shoes should I wear? Am For I sure, be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but conference play is, is my favorite part of college totally. basketball um like i said from experiencing it and i've been in the postseason in college basketball as well so like i understand that aspect of it and it gets no bigger because essentially you're in like winter you're like winter go home mode because you know single elimination and things that are like but at the same time like the importance and the significance of conference play matter a lot and i even think for the players sometimes you do Look at, for one, the postseason is obviously an opportunity for you to be able to get your name out there in a big way. Individually, get more collectively, the exposure is unmatched when you get to the postseason. First and foremost, a very limited amount of teams actually make it to the postseason. So if you look at it from the totality of college sports at large, or let's just stick to college basketball here in particular – majority of the teams in each of these conferences will not play in the postseason. That doesn't mean they don't have great players on their team that should be able to get a shot at the next level or should be able to maybe play beyond even their college years or be recognized for how well they're playing that particular season. They're just not particularly on a winning team. That resume matters for them far greater than an opportunity that they're likely to not even get and being able to land some of that exposure in the postseason. So I think even down to the worst teams in the conference, if I'm a player and my team's not winning, but I'm performing well and putting up good numbers, although it won't be that my team's a winning team on my resume, I'll still have a resume because I can get a second-team all-conference. I can get an all-conference honorable mention. I can get first-team where now the season doesn't feel like a waste because it is a team sport and your team might not have had a six, as much success collectively. So I think conference play for the players themselves from top to bottom is the most important part of the year because the most opportunity comes during that time of the year for those guys. So I think that's something that a lot of folks don't consider either because you only look at it from you know the tournament standpoint, the championship standpoint. You should be having the best teams that are on the floor. So it is a time that you want to be able to witness the best product when it comes to the basketball itself. But as far as navigating through conference play, I think top to bottom for the athletes, they would be better off putting more emphasis on college play. For one, to even be able to get that chance in March, as mentioned, but for two, knowing that the odds are sort of against them to ever get that chance. So this is the time of year that you can really make a name for yourself. And I don't think that gets taken into consideration enough. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. <clears throat> when you talk to people that you meet in your life as an adult. Yeah. That didn't know you play basketball or that you initially talked to them about basketball. Do, do they more ask you how your team did 
in your basketball career or how you played in your basketball career? Like, did they say, like, did you win? Yeah. Or they, how no, many they care, did you score? They care about how you played in your adult years. Sure. So I I, I, I think as the as a player, I care about – we care about the team and the right, team's success. Right, 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 right. But in your adult years, like, they do care about – like, it, it helps that I can say, oh, yeah, I was an all-conference player in right. college for them to be able to recognize and realize, the, the, oh, you the, really the, were, yeah. were real. Because first and foremost – a lot of guys don't even get that opportunity to play college basketball if we want to, you know, peel another layer back. So, all right, you play college basketball. That's respectable in itself. Oh, and you were an all-conference player during your college basketball days? Like, okay, okay. Like, it makes a lot more sense as to why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing now for some people that may have just discovered me as a broadcaster. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like – it, and you, you know, gotta have that because the guys it, it, it that helps. played, the guys that played like at the, especially at the top level, they're good broadcasters too. So it's like once you already have a taste of that, you're like, oh well, if these guys can do it themselves, yeah, why do we need you? It helps. <laughs> you I mean, know? I mean, the respect at, level matters. You meaning like somebody that didn't play for you know sure, I mean? and I think the respect level matters in the work. You know what I'm saying? Like coming into my career, I just think about how I was more so thrown into a broadcast journalist, but more so in the sense of from the opinionated standpoint. Um, you hear about, like, the traditional journalist career, sports journalist, even if we want to just, like, put it down to just that. Most sports journalists have to go through the reporting phase prior to them being able to give their opinion or be asked for their opinion or ultimately publish their opinion. I, in a lot of ways, was able to skip that phase. Although I went to school for journalism, I was able to sort of skip that phase and like jump straight into radio and the broadcasting without really having much of a reporter's background because I played. So me coming out of college and being able to have the 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 resume of playing like that in itself gives that in itself yeah. gives me credibility to be able to talk about the game in a professional manner. You know what I'm saying? Especially, so, especially to supplement the not writing part. Yeah, not exactly. Writing. Exactly. You know because yeah. most of the people, the, most of the journalists well, themselves have to start as reporters before they can ever start publishing their opinion. Well, what was that? I was able to kind of skip a lot of that yeah. and jump straight That's in to being able to give my opinion because well, I played. Remember that list that was like top 25 sports personalities? It yeah. was mostly just straight up personalities, exactly. just talking heads. And they were Either, players, and they, they were, were former athletes. Yeah. They were ex my and, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right. on a localized level, that's just what you see on ESPN. And obviously, right. you know what I mean? That's what you see on the mainstream well, stages. But on a localized level, yes, that was my experience I because mean, I did have a career. And you know what? You can get that done on a localized level to really bring it back full circle. Like watching conference play basketball for the team that you went to school with, you know what I'm saying? At D3 yeah. school or whatever, that's where you build that like lore and that fan base for and sure. that credibility overall. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. So tune into goboxers.com. For you know sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Friday yeah. night. Check us we'll, out in the double header. Can't forget her. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be there. We'll be there. So uh, excited for that. Um, DJing at Export Saturday night, 9 p.m. to midnight. So you should definitely pull up there. But even before that, here today, I will be. At Mermosa, most of you know that I was at Mermosa on Saturdays usually, but 
it gets a little tricky, especially with this time of the year where a lot of my Saturdays are eaten up by broadcasting. But Mermosa does a wine night on Thursdays, which is kind of my speed anyway. Um, and so I'll be doing Thursday <laughs> evenings <pee>. now. You know, <laughs> and, and even still, I have some Thursday schedule conflicts, especially with Portland State in particular, because they play most majority of their conference games are played on Thursdays and Saturdays with a sprinkle of a Monday here every once in a while. But um, I will be there tonight, this Thursday, January 4th, pull up 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. It's a good evening vibe, not a super late night. Um, you can come do some wine tasting. You can become a member. So Mimosa started off as a wine company that has now launched a restaurant here in Portland. Just to give some of the backstory of it, um, you know, it's a black woman-owned wine company and now restaurant and so yeah come up come out vibe out sip some wine i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure when i was there last time when i pulled up on you which was tight by the way yeah that was a tight that was a tight it's a tight place that 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 whole day was it's a tight place it's a good location 23rd yeah yeah you know 23rd northwest 23rd very popular street you know uh, what was i about to say Last time you no, came. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were yeah. saying, I, I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they said $25 wine flights. I was like, that's reasonable. It's, it's a vibe. That's reasonable. It's a vibe, dog. It's a vibe. So pull up. I'll be there tonight. So that's what I got going this weekend. Um, Next week, more slates of game. Well, actually, we should probably announce it here now because we do have um next Tuesday, January 9th. We won't be back on the podcast prior to that. But next Tuesday, Pacific will be at home in another doubleheader. Again, it's Northwest Conference play against Willamette. So come out, you know, back back. You can either tune in to us on GoBoxers.com. You can come back to the Stoller Center um, and just continue to catch up, catch up to more Northwest Conference play. Um, so, yeah, I should definitely announce that. And then I'm DJing Tuesday that night, too. Probably should announce that as well. So we're rocking through Tuesday and, of course, when we come back here next Wednesday, record, and then on Thursday when you all will be able to get the episode, we will have an entirely full slate of a of an eventful weekend next weekend, um, which also happens to be my birthday weekend, by the way. Um, but a lot of gigs, a lot of games. Portland State will kick off their homestand um, in, in terms of Big Sky Conference play. And so, yeah, we're just going to keep it going. You got anything? Am I missing anything? You You killed it. That's it. What do we want to start the year off with here today? I want to start with the NFL because we haven't really been covering a lot right. of NFL, and I think it deserves some coverage. There's obvious reasons as to why we haven't been covering much NFL because we're basketball heads. Um, but that don't mean we don't love it. That doesn't mean we don't follow it. And I really just kind of want to lead and talk about Lamar Jackson because a year ago, the guy was struggling to get a contract, a very lucrative <laughs> contract to prove and show what his worth is as a quarterback after, by the way, having already won an MVP in the National Football League. There was a, a shit show in regards to why or why not he of all people should be getting the biggest bag. And now here he goes again after getting that huge mega bag He's already back in MVP form again, highly likely to win the MVP award this season again. And 
I love to see it, obviously, for him as a black quarterback doing everything that he's doing. Um, I, I've always been a fan of Lamar and have supported him, and I like his game, most importantly. Um, but I also like how crazy y'all look that even debated whether Lamar should be getting that money or not or whether he was in the wrong or right or really more so in the wrong in regards to wanting to negotiate to be able to get the most lucrative bag. Not only that he wanted but has already proven to deserve and is now showing y'all again why he deserved it. I, I'm loving to see this for Lamar, man, and I hope obviously the postseason, this postseason, I don't – I mean, of course, if he wins the Super Bowl – Best thing, best possible scenario for him in his career. And, and I would love to see that for him. And I think he's good enough to be able to get that done at some point. It's a hard task to do. You know what I'm saying? But I do want to see him at least win a couple, you know, maybe get to the Super Bowl. If not, certainly make sure he's playing in the AFC Championship game because he'll get a bye week for wild card rounds. He'll play a divisional game and then make sure you win that divisional game and get to the AFC title game. I, I think, you know, getting to the Super Bowl is really what I think should happen for him this year with how well he's playing, how well that team's been playing. But you certainly got to get a W this postseason um, to be able to even more so substantiate and really just – put in perspective how great he really is because now I'm already starting to see the narratives. We know how great of a regular season he's had. We know he's probably going to win the MVP this year, and we've seen him win the MVP before. So that conversation is kind of drying out and dying out, if you will, to where now the conversation is going to what kind of quarterback is he in the postseason because that's when it matters most. Well, How, how many Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes have? Two, right? Mahomes has three, two, three. See, this is, we're not a football podcast. No, he's won three out of the five. Three? We're gonna look that up. But Patrick the, Mahomes the, has three. He just because he just Lamar won. has Lamar has one. Lamar has none. No, Lamar has none. He has one MVP. He has one MVP. But yeah. no, if no. he gets one, if he gets one, the contract is worth it. I I think what he's doing now is proving that the contract is worth it. But Patrick Mahomes is the new gold standard of for sure, uh, specifically also, to a contract perspective. This is also Patrick Mahomes we're talking about here. Oh, I know, <laughs> you but, know what I'm saying. But but yeah, I get what you're saying. But, but Lamar Jackson is good, and that's the thing though. He is good enough to be in that. He's got two. You're right. Mahomes got, He's got two. two. That's what I thought. Now this is my question: If Patrick Mahomes never wins another Super Bowl with with the money that he got paid, and that that's not worth it over a long period of time. But Lamar Jackson is good enough right now to be considered as good as Patrick Mahomes. No matter yeah. no matter how many Super Bowl rings or not. He's playing the best at the position I, right now today. And for I sure. argue that especially with a Super Bowl, that the value of the of, of a Lamar Jackson, at least on from a contractual standpoint, is leaps it's and bounds. It's and, I, and I would argue that it's better for for the, the better than Patrick Mahomes' value as a quarterback. Well, well, I, I think there's I, – I tend to agree with that, and, and here's a couple reasons. You remember last year 
how big of a deal it was for us to be able to see. I called it the black-on-black Super Bowl because you had two (laughs) black quarterbacks, two dual-threat dynamic quarterbacks, if you will. looks a little different, but, you know, obviously Mahomes does it more when it comes to scrambling. He does it more with speed and athleticism, and Jalen Hurts does it with a little bit more power. But nonetheless, they're dual-threat quarterbacks in terms of their ability to be lethal using their legs as well as their arms. And I was kind of speaking to how significant it would be at that time had Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, not because it wouldn't be cool for Jalen Hurts or or that it didn't already matter that we do now have both of these quarterbacks, but in terms of Mahomes' legacy being able to take another step up in terms of his greatness at the position, we don't tend to talk about dual-threat quarterbacks in that light, i.e. black quarterbacks is what a lot of those quarterbacks tend to be. We don't talk about them in the light that we talk about Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady, obviously, at the tip top. Peyton Manning, Joe Montana. Joe Flacco. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, the list goes on. So, I wanted to see, for one, I was happy that it had gotten to that point that we had two dual-threat quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl, but also for Mahomes and sort of the level up in terms of what another championship would mean for him and his greatness because he is sort of being talked about and the like of many of those quarterbacks that I just named, him winning another Super Bowl would only not only solidify that for him individually, but solidify the direction that the game is going in terms of why there is very much so significance and importance to have a dual-threat quarterback. So now to have Lamar, Lamar Jackson following up the way that he is to Patrick Mahomes being able to reached the tip top of the mountain now when it comes to how we talk about him as a quarterback, it looks good in terms of just being able to have the experiment of the league actually thrives best when you do have these dual-threat quarterbacks. Because for one, every other position in the NFL is becoming more and more athletic. A, a, a lineman isn't about being able to have a 400-pounder anymore as it is being able to have a 300-pound machine, 290-pound machine that's just super fast, super quick, super strong, you know what I'm saying, and not just taking up space, if you will. So with the pace of the game getting faster, now you do have to put some more respect on these dual-threat quarterbacks to be able to evade what, how that can negatively impact your more traditional quarterback. And I think Mahomes has obviously shown that. We see the value of Jalen Hurts and how good he's been able to do so far in his career. And now, oh my goodness, look at Lamar Jackson. He's playing the best in the league at that position, already having won an MVP and is about to win a second one. So that makes those folks that were debating about Lamar Jackson's value at the time he was in those contract negotiations look even more crazier because y'all haven't even caught on to the trend in the direction of the position based on how the league is now in comparison to maybe how you grew up watching the league and how you looked at greatness when it came to this league. The game's going in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, and I also think that it shows that if you financially secure, especially the quarterback, it's yeah. better for the development of your team and yes. the pursuit of a Super Bowl because that stress is not something you want to have nope. when you got Micah Parsons trying to shred your face That's off. That's my point. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, you know, with, with yeah. these guys aren't, you know what I mean? These Th- dudes they're are stupid. They're crazy athletes, standing behind, They're standing under center watching this carnage unfold in front of them. Yeah. 
yeah. sure as shit be like, you better pay me hundreds of millions of dollars to keep standing out there. Now yeah. you're saying you want me to run? Like yeah. around I'm right, and yeah. through them? Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's, yeah that's no, no, no. Saying. You're going to need to pay me. For sure. And then I can do my job safely. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. So for sure. I agree with it. So, you know, I, I just love to see it. And that's that's what I'm here for in terms of just wanting him to thrive and be successful because I do want more respect to be put on the value of the dual threat quarterback. I'm even seeing people like Cam Newton, who was one of the greatest dual threat quarterbacks be Mad Hatter. Crit- Shout be out critiqued, Mad Hatter. Be critiqued for his stances because he more so speaks from that lens. This is a guy that went to a Super Bowl, won an MVP as well. He just did it in an era where he was an anomaly. It was just him playing the position the way that he played the position. Although he didn't win during I mean, that time period, you know, and you remember- he, he, he's, he laid a foundation for this is the way that the game you know, is going. And it's funny because <laughs> it's, it's Cam, too, because around that time, it was like the way that football fans, at least from my perspective, because I'm an objective football fan. Yeah. Like, I recognize that I, you know, as a sportsman and someone who enjoys sports, I was early on, I was like, I should pay attention to football. Yeah. Even though, truth be told, I never really, you know what I mean? I was very indifferent to it. But I remember around that time Cam Newton started playing because it was like football fans were watching him with this sense of awe, like, wow, he's yeah. like 6'6". Yeah. And he's doing all this, flipping over the line. Like, he was going crazy back yeah, then. Yeah, he was going off. And no one else was doing that at all. And yeah. it was like the initial reaction wasn't so knee-jerky like maybe it would be today, but it almost felt like football fans were sitting there watching like – this is so incredible. Let's all yeah. kind of not say anything. And I think a lot of people were like, wait till he messes up. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He they're had like, to walk through like, the we're door. We're not going to say anything now because that's crazy. That's crazy what, what he's, he's doing Absolutely. Right now. I agree. But let's just be quiet, Loki. Yeah. And let's wait until he messes up. And what happened? He never got there. He never yeah. got to the mountain. And then the ridicule came. It came. Yep. And now look. And now What look. followed him. Now look. Patrick Mahomes. Sure. Essentially, in terms yeah. of, you know, guys of that caliber. And now look at what's following Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts, who he had to compete against in the Super Bowl and, and took him to the end. Lamar Jackson's coming right behind, about to win his second MVP already before, what, 25 years old? Like, around 25 years old? Like, really young still, relatively, in, in that regard. Like, Cam Newton was the one that had to kind of take the bullet coming through the door of us being able to look at football and watch football and see the trend of football changing. He was trendy, and usually trendy things make people uncomfortable. It's not until things become a little more stabilized in regards to what that trend is. Again, Patrick Mahomes, I think, did just that to where now we look at the Jalen Hurts and the Lamar Jackson is in the guy coming, the guys coming behind, and you got to just put a little bit more respect on it, flat out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man, I, I'm happy that things are playing out the way that they're playing out, especially being that the Raiders will no longer have a shot at being able to make it to the playoffs. That's all I care about when it comes to football. Now it's good football. Cause I do enjoy the sport. I watch the sport, but good football. And, and then from a, a, a socio-political standpoint, I'm all into seeing these black quarterbacks thrive in this league because I know they had to go through a whole lot to be able to get to this point. And the fact that they're upholding it in the way they are, is pretty dope to me. Um, that's that on that. I think the Super Bowl, I mean, uh, 
You got a prediction? Uh, Ravens 49ers? I think 49ers ultimately do win the Super Bowl this yeah, year. Yeah, me too. But Ravens 49ers sounds fun to me. I, I it like sounds that. Sounds real bit. good. You got yeah. you got Bosa versus Lamar. <laughs> like just that matchup alone is dope to me. Um but you know, I still think, you know, even though the Ravens put it on the 49ers, you know, I think the 49ers will adjust. Um I still think the 49ers have a better team. I just think the Ravens had the best player. And <laughs> sometimes we do see the best player get the best of a what could be a better team. Although Lamar's team is obviously playing really well, so some would say that the Ravens are the best team in football right now, but you weren't saying that prior to that game. You were saying that it was the San Francisco 49ers, and right. I'm not going to go that far off the deep end to, to not acknowledge the 49ers as still being able to have just as much of a shot. But, yeah, the better man won that night, and the better man of anybody on that football field happened to be Lamar Jackson, which I think— He was nasty. He, he was, had more touchdowns than incompletions. And then you saw That's what he just did to the bananas, Dolphins. bananas, dude. Then followed up and, and just annihilated the Dolphins. So it's like, he's the MVP. He's <laughs> you know? the MVP, bro. He's the MVP, he's the MVP straight bro. up. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm happy for him. Um, but I still got Ravens Niners, but I don't think the Ravens do that again. I think the Niners um, will be able to respond at, at that point of the year. Let's transition. Caitlin Clark is phenomenal. We knew that. We know that. And we saw it again as she had another 40-point performance and a step back, step logo back, buzzer <laughs> for the win to finish for the win eight for 20 from the three point line. I'm just gonna leave that right there. She is special. That's jacking them up, though. That's jacking them up, but she is special. Yeah, she's gonna be beat a really good Michigan State team. She's gonna be on like the is it a Mount Rushmore? No, see, I ah, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, are you hey, trying to say Mount Rushmore? I'm not are you I'm just saying, slow. Okay, I was gonna get are you caught on that track. The goat, the greatest no, of all. What are you talking about? Well, I'm, you int- know, I'm intrigued. It's interesting, you say that <laughs> because you know there's. You know, you know what a list does, man. A list stirs controversy, and we've seen a list come out recently. I forget. We'll we'll get we'll dip back into that later. But regardless of it, Caitlin Clark was on the top of it, so that's yeah. for sure. Number one, that's without a doubt. Uh she has more thirty point games than anybody in NCAA. No, no, first person with three. Man, a thousand eight hundred. She's got hella records. She's, She's got hella player. records, bro. We see her game. The game yeah. is impeccable. Let, let let let's just keep. This is when I'll get to my point. I just think that it's hard to put her as great as she is straight up because I just think that Juju Watkins is it's the coming. best is the best basketball player in D one basketball right now. <laughs> straight up. Like like on the women's side for uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just, yeah. The <laughs> problem is is that she's. A freshman and Caitlin Clark is an upperclassman senior. Yeah, so it's like all it's all it is is time, baby. Yeah, and Juju's got plenty of that. Yeah, but and Caitlin so- is doing very well with the time that she's been given, and she continues to do well. And I don't imagine things falling off with the time that she has left. She can- and she is she- special. You know what, man? It could be a Mount Rushmore situation. Okay. Okay, here's what I think. It could be a Mount Rushmore. So hold on, though. Uh, You're talking like 
I'm, I was about to I was about to say because I think I think you know where I'm headed because we're trying to clarify what we mean. Greatest college women's basketball player, Mount Rushmore. Yes, but what I would say it, that is where that is the basis of this or the premise well, of this. where we're going. We're tapping into but, waters that we're not prepared for. But I mean, at least but not I think to make these types of decisions, Devon. I'm just saying. I think the way that it could be better put, though, in favor of her. Because I look at her as a Steph Curry-like figure for women's basketball is put her on a Mount Rushmore for the most influential women's basketball players of all time at, at the collegiate level. That is where, because while, yes, she hasn't won the championships that UConn and Stanford and, you know, she hasn't won the championships yet. Steph Curry has won championships. It's still levels, and she's still got a chance to go get her championship this year. She has 1,000% created a turning point, spearheaded, I should say, a turning point for women's college basketball, its popularity, the way how much is consumed, how many eyes are on it, because – of her spectacular play. She has spearheaded that. That at Final Four last year was spearheaded by Caitlin Clark, even as a runner-up. Like it doesn't happen the way that it happens if she isn't a giant slayer and beats a a a, a dominant defending champion of a South Carolina team. Obviously, prior to that, leading up to the point, has been this great player that we've known her to be throughout her career. And now all of a sudden we're talking about NCAA college women bas- women's basketball in an unprecedented way. And she has spearheaded that. So I would put her more in. I, I do still think it's hard to call her the most complete basketball player, which some people would say the same about Steph Curry. Some people wouldn't put Steph Curry in a Mount Rushmore of basketball players, but they would be a little bit more inclined to put him as in a Mount Rushmore of most influential basketball players. I think right now she's kind of at that point of her career where she hasn't won enough. And again, there's been so many great players that have come before her. Um, but But at the same time, she has spearheaded an entire generation that is being consumed and being supported in a way that I don't think college women's basketball or women's basketball at large has ever seen. So that is what I'm more inclined to say in regards to Caitlin Clark is that she might, she's one of the most influential NCAA women's basketball players that I've ever seen. And I've seen her spearhead an entirely new era that has created an upward trajectory for the sport. I mean, I 100% agree, except for the fact that, you know, she, first off, I mean, the story ain't over. Exactly. So, you know, dot, dot, dot. For sure. But statistically, she is putting up, you know, all-time numbers. Yes. So from an individual performance standpoint, that's the problem with, I mean, not problem, but that's the thing about college basketball and specifically women. Yeah, women's basketball. Those programs are so well oiled and so tight and so storied in some yeah, cases, and for sure, and just that it's uh, the individual kind of gets washed away. And so I think that it's it's important to give the credit from a from a individual performance standpoint where it's due. In that now, having said that, that and I think that's what creates the influence. Yeah, well, now having said that, you know, there the era that we're in now is that people are just watching 
they just have to consume so much more content. So it's like a critical mass of content. And when you're a basketball person and, you know, add global sport with billions plus NIL and an insatiable need to have content. And it's the most contentable sport on the planet because you got to clip every 24 seconds, sometimes two or three, you got to just feed the beast there. And so, you know, I think that Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, the South Carolina Gamecocks, Paige the UConn, yeah, yeah, the the Husky, like all Juju of these, now. Juju now, like <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I think that it's a, an amalgamation of all of these coming together at the same time to create that. So I wouldn't give necessarily Caitlin Clark that, like, you know what I'm saying, like that much of a accolade over necessarily her individual performance because she's a hooper, and I think that she's going to be even better when she goes to the next level. Personally, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. The story is far from being written. Um, I so, just don't think that she's even the best college basketball player in D one right now. That's all woo, I think because woo. Juju's just too cold. <laughs> <laughs> she's woo. just too cold. Woo, I, I, she's too cold, man. Because look, all the records are thirty point game this, thirty point game that for. Um, I uh, really Caitlin. want to agree. Go with look you. what Juju's doing. She's I got really more thirty point. Get, she's I, got more thirty point games in her freshman year than Lisa Leslie did her freshman year. Like I, I, it's, it's, it's already different. happening right now, and and that's as a basketball player. And again, which is why I think I would more so phase into the conversation of influence because as a basketball player, we can start listing off a lot of names in terms of whatever type of a list that we want to put her well, on. Let's list them because but, what was those those four names that was on the jersey uh, deal? Oh, it was Bronny James. And then it was three women's players. It was Caitlin Page and Juju. Caitlin Page and Juju. And I don't even know that she's better than Page. <laughs> oh, man. So I yeah, hear, I mean, I, you shit, know what I'm saying? I, like, real, I don't know how confident I'm in, I am in but, just saying, like, but, she's outright better well, than no, Paige. See, she was hotter than Paige right now. But, like, I saw Paige when she was hot, too, before – a very significant and, and ACL that, injury, and UConn, that was smoking. The hot. UConn win streak, and they were winning. <laughs> the like, UConn win streak that was a, a a very significant chapter in the popularity growth of the WNBA. Which, by the way, talking about this jersey deal, because the, the, the influential argument can be made right now that. Today, as it stands, there's three women's basketball players that got that deal, and Juju's one of them, and so is Paige, and so is Caitlin. So if there's a Mount Rushmore for most influential today, those three got to be on it. Add Angel Reese, there's the list. Yeah. But once they started selling jerseys, that's when the game starts getting more eyes on it. I mean, I've always said that it's really but an and nobody's, and nobody's selling jerseys more than Caitlin Clark right now. For sure, but... You gotta have a product, and I don't even know. The, I don't even know if what I just said is an actual fact. I'm just betting <laughs> on that, in terms well, of just how hot she is right yeah, now. Yeah, she's pretty hot. You know what I'm saying? Like she's she's hotter than everybody right now. Like say what you will about the basketball again, which is why I lean more into influence. She's the Steph Curry. She's the Allen Iverson. She's that of this era right now. Again, Allen Iverson, another guy who we would never talk about. Allen Iverson. As a all timer, as an all timer, Mount Rushmore as a basketball player. Although he's an all time great, we wouldn't talk about him as a Mount Rushmore guy. But as far as a Mount Rushmore guy, as in terms of his influence, oh yeah, we're yeah. a lot more willing to have that he's conversation. Up, he's there, he's you know there. what I'm saying. We are a lot more willing to have that conversation. I see 
that in Caitlyn right now. She has that kind of impact and effect on the game right now because she's unique in regards to not only how she, not only how much she produces, but but the way that she does it. You know what I'm saying? We know Allen Iverson produced at a crazy level, but the way that he did it was something like we've never seen. The way that Sturry, Steph Curry does it is a way Sturry. like we've never seen. <laughs> I say the same for Caitlin Clark at her level, yeah, which yeah, is she's... NCAA women's basketball. She's she's special. And bro. I'd be willing to bet that there's going to be a higher you know, um, viewership numbers than oh, this, it was last year. This season, oh, we're just getting – again, conference play has just started. You even see the hype that she's getting around this. is like it's conference play now, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like it's basketball season. We care about basketball at the tip top of the sport, which would be the NBA after Christmas. The same goes for college. Everywhere else. Man. Everywhere else. It trickles down. Have you been outside lately, especially in Oregon? I don't want to be nowhere but inside a basketball gym. Exactly. <laughs> it's raining outside <laughs> right now. Outside? It's wet. It's cold. Why not be in a basketball yeah. gym at this yeah. time of year? I damn sure don't want to be in nobody's outdoor stadium. Kickback. <laughs> man, I want to watch hoops right now. Be in the gym, cozy, covered up, dry, yeah. and, and, and entertained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... It's a great time of year, man. We're bringing taking L's back. Okay. I'll kick it off since we're bringing it back. It's been a long time since we've done we taking L's. Yeah. So let me reintroduce it. For those of you yeah, that are not old timers of the Wake Up and Win podcast, we are called the Wake Up and Win podcast. Taking L's is a segment where we acknowledge who took a loss this week. It doesn't have to be that vain. We can also use it as who took who took a lesson this week? Who learned a lesson this week? So sometimes, yeah, we might just be calling out a loser, but sometimes we might just be pointing out a lesson. That's why it's called taking L's. It can be um, used for either or in, in this segment, just depending upon who took the L that week. And this week, who I will say took an L has to be Wally Zerbiak. And the L more so leans into the lesson side of things for me because as a broadcaster, I understand that we talk a lot and we are not going to always get things right when it comes to what it is that we're covering as broadcasters because we talk too much and it just doesn't quite work out. But last season, Wally Zerbiak, who is the New York Knicks broadcaster, said on the broadcast that Tyrese Halliburton was a wannabe all-star. Well, this season, Tyrese Halliburton will certainly be an all-star based on his performance, his production, and in the midst of killing the New York Knicks, going to the bench for a timeout, he gave Wally Zerbiak a stare down because he kept the receipt of Wally Zerbiak calling him a wannabe all-star. Now, since then, Zerbiak has hugged and dapped it up with the pops. Zerbiak has acknowledged that he was wrong and that he's been proven wrong, essentially based on the stellar play of Tyrese Halliburton. He even went as far to call Halliburton a superstar. I don't think he's that, but he sure ain't no one to be all-star this season. I know that. I think he's just an all-star, <laughs> and that's okay. Superstar conversation is a whole different thing, but I understand the extremes that Wally Zerbiak had to go to in regards to apologizing 
to that of Tyrese Halliburton because he was dead wrong about him being a wannabe all-star. So I can yeah. live with Zerbiak saying that. Bro, um, if, I, if I'm in the NBA, I want to be an all-star. They all want to be all-stars. Yeah, right? nah, but, he, just, but that wasn't no, what he I, meant, no, no, no. and we know that. I'm just playing. but uh, But yeah. I think it was a cool lesson well, to learn. Yeah, No, he apologized on live TV. For sure, for sure. I think, And that's, that's why I said it's what, a lesson. And you know what's so funny, man? I think that a lot of the times when that stuff happens, People misconstrue the the reaction from the person that that was said about. No matter how innocuous the thing was said, like yo, he's a want to be all star. He's a rival team in the conference. Yeah, who calls for it? You know what I mean? Like nobody is none, none of that is lost on anybody. Not on Tyrese Halliburton. Not on his dad. None of that. Yeah. But it's like, bro, if you say some inflammatory stuff on national TV, then it's your responsibility to go and and comment on that. And if you have an apology and you didn't mean what you said. Then you apologize, and yeah. then that's how it works. But if you don't do that, then you're a sucker. Yeah, and that's and that's just it. And Wally Zerbiak was I mean, a not, great player. Yes, he was. I, I think that's important to acknowledge here as well because it's not some Joe Schmo off the street. Yeah, and, but but if you just looked at a picture, you might think it was. I mean. If, if you, you just saw, looked at a picture, tall, of Wally, he's a really tall he guy. is tall. That's why I said a picture, because you might not be able to see, get the full height, but you might. You probably will get a headshot. And if you see the headshot, you, you might not like put a... the respect on Wally Zerbiak's name as a basketball player Wally. that he very well does <laughs> deserve. Wally. He was a beast in Minnesota back in the days with Kevin Garnett. I remember a lot of y'all might be too young to remember, and some of y'all might have just forgot, because it was that long ago now. But... He was wrong, flat out. And I love the fact that he did acknowledge that he was wrong. I think it was super dope for him to be able to do that. But then also, you know, in my position as well, I, I hold the same position as Wally Zerbiak. And understanding, Ooh, it. <laughs> understanding how to approach talking about these players is very, very important. Yeah. Because partially for a reason that you just acknowledged, partially because – yeah, he was talking about Tyrese Halliburton as the the rival, if you will. I don't want to say the en enemy. I think that's too harsh of a word. But as a rival and as somebody that works for the rival team, we never know if the day is ever going to come where Tyrese Halliburton is a New York Nick. Mm -hmm. And now you're holding the same job. You're, you're holding a job in this position, and he's now your coworker. Y'all now are – getting paychecks cut from the same organization. You never know if that's going to happen in the NBA. Obvious in this, obviously, in this case, it was a little different, and, and Tyrese Halliburton was just able to prove him wrong in an Indiana Pacer uniform. But to take it a step further, we never know if the day will or will not come where Tyrese Halliburton is wearing a New York Knicks uniform and you're sitting in that position and you're going to have to acknowledge that in some way, shape, or form. And and I, I said, I remember, you know, I, I when I got the position in the G League, I reached out to Lamar Hurd, who is the Portland Trailblazers team analyst. And I think, I think he's the best team analyst in all of the NBA, personally. I think he's that great. And I thought that before I ever ended up working for the same organization that he does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I had high respect for him and the job that he does on the Blazers broadcast before I ended up being uh, the same, having the same position for the Blazers G League affiliate. But during that conversation, that was some of the game that he was able to give to me as I'm coming into this position is just 
be careful about how you talk about these particular players. Make sure you keep it basketball, first and foremost, but also, like, use your words wisely. And I just think, I don't think it was an offensive thing that Wally Zerbiak said. I just don't think it was wise. And now he has to eat those words. And again, the times are going to come where we're all going to say unwise things when we talk as much as we do in this position. So it comes with the territory. But you want to minimize that to the best of your ability as much as possible, especially if you want to last in this industry and you want to keep the relationships right. good in this injury industry on top of just being good at what you do at that job. And I don't question whether Wally Zerbiak is good or not at that position. I know from his basketball pedigree, he very well does deserve that position. I don't even, I don't, I haven't listened to much of him as a broadcaster because I don't get local Knicks games here in my market, but I do know that his pedigree as a basketball player makes all the sense in the world why it is that he holds the job. But once you get the job, you still got to do it well at the best of your ability, and you got to maintain it. And a lot of that has to do with how well you are on there, but very much so how well you can maintain relationships in these in this space. So I think for me, you know, I, I, I think he handled it really well. I think Tyrese Halliburton handled it well also. He proved it on the floor. He, you know, he acknowledged it, and he accepted the apology, and he didn't really hold a grudge. And now you see his dad and Zerbiak hugging up and being cool. Like, I love the way that this all played out for all parties involved. And, again, I just think Zerbiak made a mistake, and I do think a wannabe all-star I mean, is it a mistake though? Because I, it's I not think, really. Listen, I mean, it's that's not, not offensive. Like, that's not. But he an was wrong. Thing to say. It, it, sure, it's not sure. offensive, but he was wrong. Yeah, that's, that's a mistake. Might not. He was yeah, wrong, he, and he had to swallow his he's words. Definitely wrong. Absolutely. And you would that's say enough. That. And you would say that. But <laughs> you know you would, what I mean? But like, okay, so like, check it out. To be at the up at the top of this uh, podcast, you know, you we were mentioning that you know some, the ref might have said something about. I, I'm sure it was something that I said, by the way, about yeah, the refs for sure. And I, and I the way I look at it is like. First off, I'm, I'm a man, so if anyone came and came up to me and asked me, I would gladly have a conversation and be like, "Yo, what did I say to you?" That yeah. you know what I mean. I would love to hear like how I can figure out how to, you know what I mean, navigate this problem that, For that sure. you have with me. You know uh -huh. what I mean. But at the same time, it's like I'm also we're also it's an entertainment product. You know what I mean. So like and very much so, so. like d d building up that like sense of rivalry. I guess is the operative word we're using right now. Or even just trying to do your job and tell a compelling story and, and speak with the sort of the nomenclature that is around this time of year and, and where players are sort of jockeying for all-star voting. I, I don't think that it should deter anybody like a Wally Zerbiak from saying anything and, and like they said anything wrong. But I do think that if somebody has an issue and is like, yo man, this is something that I, you know what I mean? Like then if you said it on TV, then you should say your retort on TV. You know I agree. I mean? Like no matter what happens, even if it turns out and it wasn't all good with everybody, like you don't have your dad, his dad and you shaking hands on camera. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You still have to go say something. You got to go say something. You I think, just but I'll say something, but I also think you know another I mean? thing I don't fully, again, I don't have the full context of our example, our example. No, you, me neither. I mean, but, you, you, but you, I will you say this the top and I, that was the first I'd heard of it, but I will say this, even if you said something that was a little far out there, right? That doesn't necessarily mean you were wrong. Right. This dude was wrong. So that when I say a mistake, I'm not saying like a 
I'm not saying that from a standpoint of like he should lose his job or and no, that's why no, I wanted no, no, to no, acknowledge no. he didn't say anything offensive. No. He was just flat out wrong. And the point is not to be wrong. Point blank period. And he was wrong this time <laughs> around. True, and and so and so it's like it's <laughs> like you might have said something that even if what you said was a little bit flagrant, if it wasn't wrong, it wasn't wrong. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I I used the Draymond analogy it, it, it bad now, but I was but before he ended up having a secondary incident or the however many dairy incidents with Nurk when the whole situation had with happened with him and um him and Rudy Gobert. Mm. And everybody was talking about how many games should Draymond be suspended? Should he play this many games? Should he play that many games? Yada, 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 yada. And mm-hmm. a part of the way I looked at it was the intent of it. And was he wrong for doing what he was did, what he did? Yeah, what he did was excessive, so he does deserve a consequence. But the intent and the reason why he did it was very understandable amongst people that operate in this world or have operated in this world. He came in the defense of his teammate. Now, what he did to Nurkic, it was indefensible because he didn't come in defense of nobody, not even himself, really, in that matter. He just flat out struck the dude. There's no way I can defend that. While, yes, what he did to Rudy Gobert was excessive, because he was right, I think minimized the game's suspended. It just didn't help him that he followed up a couple weeks afterwards with the action that he did. I say that to say, ultimately, when people understand intent, being wrong is a little bit more okay. But calling somebody a wannabe all-star, like, What's your intent behind that? That's a little bit questionable of a statement to make because, okay, he's a young player. You're acknowledging that he's good to some capacity by even using the word all-star. But why would you call him a wannabe? Say he's on the verge of like, there's so many other ways that you could say that than a wannabe all-star to where not only do I question what you said, especially as this dude continues to ascend, I do a little bit question why you said it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, was it to be entertaining? Or was it something a little bit deeper than that? I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm just I, glad I he acknowledged know, that he was wrong, but I, that I was a little know. bit questionable of a thing to say to me. I, I didn't read anything like that, but I, I think that, you know, from a player standpoint, it's like those guys have to answer questions all the live long day. Yeah. They get microphones shoved in their face. Absolutely. Especially, you know, we were talking to earlier, funny how this podcast works sometimes, like, you know, the difference of being somebody who comes from a reporter background and somebody who doesn't come from a reporter background. For sure. Wally Zerbiak is an ex-basketball player, player. not no ex-reporter. Yeah. And I guarantee you that if he was an ex-reporter, he may not have had the, the... the understanding of the game that he does now, but he would definitely not, not said that, that like that. <laughs> no, That's my point. That's he all I'm saying. Said something completely. That, that, I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the funny thing. About I agree. It. So that's where it's like, yeah. what did you mean? You got it. You got to You got to know what you got to know what you're saying, big dog. Yeah, you know what I mean? it matters. You and, know what I'm saying? You, we and, we say words for a living, which means what we say matters. And, it has implications. And, and furthermore, I think that. Just because Wally Zerbiak is an ex-player and he had the the forthcomingness to do that, I don't think that lets anybody else off the hook. I think I would like to see more of a trend of this. It's like if you say something as a talking head on ESPN or you write an article. Or you're an analyst. Or, or something you're like that. Yeah. The platform that you said that on, yeah. if, if, there's a, if it needs to be discussed further, 
then your re- reply should be on that same platform I, in the I, exact same capacity. I agree wholeheartedly. And I agree with that because the reality of it is when you're reporting on them, you are doing it for some type of gain individually. So if it's in a negative light and they happen to prove what you're saying wrong and you were saying something wrong and using them for your own personal gain at the time that you decided to say it, yes, absolutely. We are all able and should have the ability and the capacity to be able to change our minds, especially as we learn new information. But if at the time you used the information that you had in a way that was just flat out wrong – and it ultimately gets disproven. You got to acknowledge that it got it. Exactly. Yeah. That's acknowledge just, it. You got There's to. nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. Acknowledge that's it. What I'm saying, like, why, that's why I said this was handled perfectly. Yeah. This was handled perfectly all the way around. Right. I'm, I give credit to Wally Zerbiak. I think he handled it great in the way that he responded. I think Tyrese handled it great on and off the floor. I think his dad handled it great. Like, I love the way that this played out, which is why I think well, it's ultimately a lesson. You know, on the flip side, my take in L is Aaron Rodgers. Because he uh, <laughs> said, you know, in, look, you can go look it up. I'm not going to get into details because it's some touchy, you know, sort of subject matter. But, okay. you know, he said some stuff about Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Kimmel retorted with like, hey, you know, you can't just say that kind of inflammatory mess about me and not expect me to essentially litigate is is what he, you know, in so few words said yeah. as a threat and retort back. I think both of those guys are goofball rich weirdos. So, you know, take out, give them both L's. But it just goes to show, you know, that <laughs> there are. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can skin that particular cat, you know, in the world that you talk for a living. And, yeah, you know, I mean, it's implications that come with it, man. man. I mean, it it, it, at the smallest of levels, like I think this is peanuts to an elephant, right? When you compare the two examples, but there's still a consequence nonetheless. That's the sort of through line between the examples, is not the is not how big of a deal it is, but more so the fact that. There's a consequence, nonetheless, on each side. One could just be you acknowledging you that you're wrong, and we wake up and do it all over again. Another element of that could be, oh yeah, I will sue your whole estate for yeah. I will sue you for your whole estate, yo. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) For putting smut on my name in that way, you know, like or like you know, uh, detach you from relationships that I have that you may also have because it's like, bro, you're because that's the thing. It's like, you know. And that's why I said those relationships matter. As I get matter. further into media or, like, take step backs, you know, as I do sometimes, like, I'm still ultimately just concerned with the communicative value of how it happens face-to-face. Yeah. Because I'm a human being. Yeah. And I communicate with people in person. And I've always, you know, the saying of people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. And so when I'm around people, I try to be warm. I, you know what I mean? And, but, yeah. like. But when you are firing crap off online or with a camera in your face, like you're you're not thinking about the humanity of it. But guess what, bro? Ultimately, all rivers lead to the ocean in that you're gonna get to the human point of it. And it could be at the grocery store parking lot and you see somebody that is like, be, Hey, weren't you the guy saying all that be, nonsense? It can end a lot of different ways. <laughs> It could, the consequence could end a, a lot of different ways. Real quick. Yeah, it could end a lot of different just ways, saying, man. Just saying, just saying, guys. <laughs> it could end a lot of different ways. So ultimately, man, be careful what you say and how you acknowledge people because you never know how it can, how it could end. <laughs> ultimately, or just how it and affects I think, people. You I know? Think, yeah, yeah. And I Give think people it, grace. You cannot yeah. control. You cannot control how people respond or react to what it is that 
you said. Yeah. So with that being said, again, I think they handled it great. Stand in it. Aaron Rodgers might have to stand in it in a different way or just – you oh, got to oh, be a little more. Ca- it, all right. Oh yeah, Pat McAfee already put out. A, from here. Oh, Pat McAfee already put out an apology because it was on Pat McAfee's show. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. and we're talking about Jimmy Kimmel and Pat McAfee, two media guys. Like, this is my yeah, it's my bread and butter. And the peas. <laughs> and steak Stop, too, for crying bro, out loud. <laughs> on that note, we're gonna leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go, go win. win.